You are listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Um, I, I want to say I'm, I'm rather disappointed. Um, I'm rather disappointed at the lack of rock me like a hurricane jokes that I have seen from you guys online. So just everybody pull out your phones and make a rock me like a hurricane joke right now. No, I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> My wife is shaking her head like you had to do it, huh? All right. Hey, um, man. Uh, we have some really cool uh, things to share with you towards the end of the service, and Becca's going to come up later and share those. Um, but what one thing I want to share with you guys is um, back in April, I got diagnosed with epilepsy, like out of the blue, and the guy that's coming to share with you this morning has been one of my greatest prayer allies. He has been texting me um, morning after morning. Uh, checking in on my health journey, which has been just crazy. And uh, so Caleb is going to bring the word this morning. Caleb, uh, Caleb is our men's director here at the mission. And so the second uh, Saturday of the month, we meet over at Olive Market, and we just get together with guys and, and uh, drink some coffee and eat some breakfast burritos and, and talk about the word, right? That's, that's pretty accurate description, right? <laughs> so, awesome. Would you guys welcome Caleb? Wow, well, good morning, everyone. This is a good turnout for the, the hurricane time. Jason kind of beat me to the punch, because I was going to come up here and just scream, you know, here I am, rock me like a hurricane, but of course... Maybe great minds think alike, that must be it. But so this is a historic occasion. Uh, I think that this is the first hurricane that Southern California has experienced in like 80 or 90 years. And the last one was kind of this week, like tropical depression or something. And so, um, yeah, I get to bring the word on the hurricane morning, which is pretty, pretty exciting. It's a historic event. So instead of Rock Me Like a Hurricane, there's a different song maybe that, that came to mind this morning. Woo! That came to mind this morning as I was driving down here. And so I'm coming... Uh, down the road here, and I see we're ringed by all these hills, and there was this break in the weather, and the clouds were blanketing the top of the hills, right? And I couldn't see the sky. I just saw the beginning of the, the clouds that go up how, how high, who knows, right? And I was looking around, and I was thinking of one of the Psalms of David, Psalm 93, where he says that the Lord is king, and he talks about how his throne is stood from time immemorial, and the Lord himself is from the everlasting past, Right, that his royal laws cannot be changed. And he talks about the floodwaters rising up. He says, the floods have risen up, O Lord. The floods have roared like thunder. They've lifted their pounding waves, but mightier than the violent raging of the seas, mightier than the breakers on the shore, the Lord above is mightier than these. And he says that your royal laws cannot be changed. Your decrees, O Lord, are holy forever and ever. And so... This is actually the third hurricane that I've experienced in person. I had one, a typhoon, uh, which is a hurricane in the Pacific, which I'm not sure what they call this hurricane, but that was in Okinawa, Japan. So I'm on a tiny island in the middle of the ocean in the Pacific, and a typhoon comes across the island. And so I got to see that, the power of that firsthand. And then in Hurricane Ivan, some of you might remember that in 2003, I was in Alabama. So Hurricane Ivan kind of came right up the, uh, the old Gulf of Mexico there and went straight north. And so I was a couple hundred miles from the, the, the ocean, 
but we got about 10 inches of rain over the course of an afternoon. And so today, this is you know, not lived up to the hype yet. And hopefully it stays that way, right, for the safety of the people that live uh, in the areas that are, that are in danger. But when I, I share all that with you to remind you that you know, the hurricane, the storms of life, the floodwaters that represent the chaos of life, they rise up and they're powerful. They roar like thunder. The breakers pound the shore, but the Lord above is mightier than these. And that is the God that we serve. And so I felt it would be necessary just to, to talk about the hurricane a little bit this morning before we get going. Let me pray, um, and then we'll dive into our, our study for this morning. So Lord, we thank you that you rule over the floodwaters we acknowledge that you are, are mighty above the raging of the sea and the pounding of the breakers on the shore. Lord, we, we thank you for your people this morning that have come here to worship you. We thank you that you move the clouds with wonderful precision, that you've laid out a path for the lightning and that you store up rain and you give it to the good and the wicked, that your sun shines on the upright and the wicked. We thank you that you have given us all these blessings. Lord, help me this morning to speak truthfully of you. Please open our hearts to be soft to your message. Give us ears to hear and eyes to see as we study your word this morning. In your mighty name, amen. All right, so let's see, where are we going to start? How do we get this going? We're going to look at a story today. We're going to look at an origin story of one very important character in Israel's history. And we're going to look at the story and say, what can we learn from this? We're going to say, how do the characters in the story represent the different things that I do in my life? And how can I apply those lessons to my life so that I can follow God more carefully? How I can follow in the path that he's laid out for me more precisely. And so the story we're going to look at is the, story, the origin story of Samuel, who was uh, a powerful, influential man in early Israel. He was a spiritual advisor to two of Israel's three kings. So Israel only had three kings in the United Kingdom, and Samuel was a spiritual advisor to two of them. He anointed two of them, so he appointed two of them through the Lord, but the Lord used Samuel to anoint these guys. And in fact, he even fired the first king of Israel. He said, Saul, you fired. <laughs> and, and shortly thereafter, Saul was fired. And so he's a very important man. So it's like, where did he come from? How did we get here? And where in this overall story of Redemption Army? So I want to catch us up on where we are historically speaking, and then where we are physically speaking, and then we'll look at how Samuel and the other characters in this story interact, and how things work out for all of them. And so where we are in the overall story, we are between Genesis and the United Kingdom of Israel, right? So God uh, gave birth to the earth. There's the creation narrative, where do we come from, the flood, the Tower of Babel, uh, Mesopotamia, Sumer, all this stuff that's going on there. And then God calls his people out. He uses the patriarchs of Israel to build up his nation, and he prepares a place for them in Egypt where they go and they're nurtured and they're, they, the people grow, but they're uh, in bondage, they're in slavery, right? And God finally calls them out after building the nation up and making them into a mighty people. He calls them out and he teaches them to be free. But he has to do it. It's very difficult. They wander through the desert trying to learn to be free for 40 years. And then that first generation, they couldn't do it. God says, these are people whose hearts turn away from me. They cannot enter my place of rest. So they had to wait for the next generation. That generation is the generation of Joshua. And Joshua leads the people of Israel into the promised land. And the whole book of Joshua is victory after victory after victory for the Israelites. 
God is with them. He fights for them. He clears out the land for them. He gives them this place of rest, cities they didn't build, vineyards they didn't plant, things that they didn't earn. He gives them his grace freely, this place he's prepared for them. And so Joshua's generation passes away, and then we enter this dark period of the judges. No one else takes over. And the judges, we keep hearing over and over again, in those days, Israel had no king, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. This society that God had nurtured and carried out of Egypt and given this promised land, they're not living up to the the high calling that God's given them, and they all are doing what's right in their own eyes. They trade truth for feelings. They trade truth for their own opinions. Right? And so as a result, they live through this dark era, hundreds of years where God raises up judges to keep this remnant going, but the Israelites are oppressed by the Philistines, by their more powerful uh, political, their more powerful economic, their more powerful military neighbors. And so the Philistines at this time, the Israelites are all, they're all doing what they think is right in their own eyes. And the Philistines live down in this valley, right? So the Israelites live up on the hill. So we talked about where we are in the timeline. This is before David. This is before Solomon. This is before the Roman conquest in Jesus. This is about 3,000 years ago. And the Israelites all live up in the hills. So you can imagine, I was trying to picture, what would that be like? And it's a little bit like where we are now. We're down here, and the Israelites, maybe we're the Philistines in this rich coastal area. There's this big plain. They have uh, farming. They have trade across the entire Mediterranean. They have technology. They have chariots. They have all these other things. They work with iron, and they, they put sanctions on the Israelites. The Israelites can't even work with iron. They don't have access to this technology. And so the Israelites are living up in the hills. They're trying to scrape a living by where the Philistines come up into the hills. They take their stuff. They go back down to the rich coastal areas. And they come up and they go back down. They come up and they go back down. Israel has no king. Their government is loosely defined. And so we, we enter this period where uh, no one's really in charge. And the Israelites are up in the hills. And so we start out looking at Samuel here. We know where we are, and we know when we are. And so we're going to start meeting some of the characters in this story. The big idea that I wanted to start with, right, the big idea is that you were made for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 tells us that we were made for a purpose in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand for us to walk in. And so the idea this morning is that for us to fulfill that purpose, we have to truly surrender to God. We have to say, God, here I am, without knowing what he's going to ask us to do. We have to say yes all the way without knowing what we're saying yes to, right? And that the only way to truly fulfill our purpose, the purpose that God created us each for, is to say, God, here I am, to say yes all the way before we know what we're saying yes to, all right? So we're going to look for that throughout this story. But so we start out, and we're going to meet some of our characters here. We're going to meet, um, in Samuel 1, this is Elkanah, a man who lives up in Ramah in the hill country, in the region of Zuf in the hill country of Ephraim. And then uh, he has two wives, Hannah and Penina. And Penina has children, but Hannah does not. And each year they're a religious family. So each year Elkanah would travel with his family from Ramah to Shiloh. Shiloh is the place where the Ark of the Covenant and the tabernacle of the Lord has been since the time of Joshua. So over this dark period of a couple hundred years after Israel's conquest they set up in Shiloh and that's where the Lord's tabernacle and his ark is and it's just been there for a couple hundred years and no one's really been doing anything but they would go from Ramah to Shiloh to worship the Lord so they're a religious family and there's some family problems going on we see this in in the Bible often when there's multiple 
wives involved because we're departing from God's normal design for a family, right? And so Paniah has children, and she picks on Hannah relentlessly because of this. And so Hannah, when they go to these um, worship weekends, right, they walk 10 miles through the mountains. So imagine it's like a man lives in Arrowhead, and every year he goes to Big Bear with his family to worship the Lord, right? And they walk that distance. So she walks 10 miles in the mountains, and she's so distressed, and she's so upset by this torment that her sister wife is giving her that she can't even eat. Can you imagine that? You go on a a one- or two-day arduous journey through the mountains, and you get there, and you're worshiping. They're having a big barbecue, the smell of the meat cooking and all these other things, and you're so distraught that you can't even eat. And so this is Hannah and where she is when we get started in the story. So let's read, we'll read 1 uh, 1 Samuel 9 through 18, and we're going to just kind of go through the story. So if you have your Bible or your phone, go ahead and open it up, and you can follow along as we go. But I think we'll get 1, 9 through 18 up on the screen, and we're going to finally meet Eli here. So Eli is, um, he's like the Supreme Court judge of Israel. So he sits as judge. He's also sort of the priest. He's kind of like the pope, right? So a Supreme Court judge, pope, governor kind of guy who rules over over Israel. He's very influential. He's a very powerful figure. And you can kind of think about what would you expect from someone who's in a position like this? Some of the things that come to mind, you would expect good judgment. You would expect discernment. You would expect a heart for the people of Israel. So let's see if that's what comes through as we meet Eli. And then we're going to learn more about Hannah. So verse 9. Once, uh, after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray. So she's distraught. She hasn't even eaten. She's sitting there the whole meal. Her stomach's hurting. She's discouraged. And she goes to pray. And Eli the priest was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. Notice there, the Supreme Court judge of Israel sits at his customary place where he normally is, is the entrance of the tabernacle. So just remember that for a little bit later. And Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow, O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. And as she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her. Seeing her lips moving but hearing no sound, he thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk, he demanded? Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking wine or anything stronger, but I am very discouraged, and I was pouring out my heart to the Lord. Don't think that I was a wicked woman, for I have been praying in great anguish and sorrow. And Eli, right, he's kind of, oh, oops, I made a mistake here. He goes, oh, well, in that case, Eli says, go in peace. May the Lord God of Israel grant the request you have asked him. And Hannah says, oh, thank you, sir. Then she went back and began to eat again and was no longer sad. And so we see here that this, the judge over Israel, in the very first time that we meet him in this story, he makes a mistake in judgment. He shows a little bit of a lack of discernment, right? And so just keep that in mind. It highlights a little bit of what we're going to see here as we go between Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, and Samuel, who God's going to raise up to be a priest for his people. So after this interaction, they go and they finish their worship weekend. They have a a nice worship breakfast the next morning, and then they go home. And what Eli said comes true. Hannah becomes pregnant. The Lord answers her prayer, and she gives him, and he gives her a son, and she names him Samuel. Samuel. 
And when you look at the, the original language, it brings out so much more meaning to this. So she named him Samuel because this is what um, she called to the Lord, and the Lord answered. Samuel means I, the Lord answered me. Right? So you think of Bethel, house, Beth of the Lord, El. In this case, Samuel, the Lord answered me. So he answered me when he called. So she prays to the Lord, and the son that she's given, she names the Lord answered me. And so then we move on to, sorry, I lost my place here. Let's see, Hannah is going home, God answers, and then her husband says, hey, you said that if you gave this son to God, then you would, uh, if you were given a son, that you would bring him back and he would serve the Lord forever. And when she had finished nursing him, so she tells her husband, hey, I, I don't want to bring him right now. He's a, he's a very small baby. So when he's done nursing, when he's weaned, I'll bring him up there and I'll drop him off to the Lord. And so we look at verse uh, 24. So when the child was weaned, Hannah took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. And they brought along a three-year-old bull for the sacrifice and a basket of flour and some wine. You notice that? They brought the wine this time. So they do have something to celebrate, right? When they go up to the Lord for these, this worship week, they have a big barbecue and they celebrate. It's, a, it's a, a, a ceremony. It's like the Lord's Supper, right? But they're all having this barbecue together and they're going up there to celebrate that the Lord has, um, has answered their prayers. And so when we go into uh, chapter 2, so, or I'm sorry, chapter 24, so when he was weaned, she goes up and then Hannah reports to Eli, the priest, and she says, do you remember me? I was here several years ago praying to the Lord, and he has given me a son. I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me. Look, here's my son. The Lord answered me, Samuel. And so she leaves him there. And we start to see for the first time that Hannah is the type of woman who says, Lord, here I am. I called out to you. I was barely holding on. I was distressed, and you answered my prayer. And now when it's actually really hard, now that my son is weaned, and I have to leave him here, and I'm going to see him only once a year, I'm going to follow through on my commitment to you. And I'm going to leave my son here to serve you like I said that I would. So you see that from the beginning, Hannah is the type of woman who says, Lord, here I am. I'm saying yes to your promises, even though I don't know exactly just yet how much it's going to cost or how hard it's going to be. So you can imagine how hard it was for her to leave her son there to serve the Lord. Okay, and so she leaves her son there, and he starts to grow in favor with God and man. Hannah uh, prays and rejoices in the Lord. So this would be uh, 1 Samuel 2, 1 through 2. And so her prayer says, My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. And so she goes on in her prayer and she talks about how the Lord, uh, he sets things in order. He raises some up and lowers some down. He humbles the proud. And so she praises the Lord. And then right after Hannah's prayer, we start to see a contrast. We are introduced to the sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas. So we're going to see what the difference there as we're introduced to those guys. So we see in 1 Samuel chapter 2, starting in verse 12. We're going to read about the sons of Eli. Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or for their duties as priests. Whenever anyone offered a sacrifice, Eli's sons would send over a servant with a three-pronged fork, a three-pronged fork, fork, 
While the meat of the sacrificial animal was still boiling, the servant would stick the fork into the pot and demand that whatever it brought up be given to Eli's sons. All the Israelites who came together to worship at Shiloh were treated this way. Sometimes the servant would come even before the animal's fat had been burned on the altar. He would demand raw meat before it had been boiled so that it could be used for roasting. And the man offering the sacrifice might reply, take as much as you want, but the fat must be burned first. Then the servant would demand, no, give it to me now or I'll take it by force. So the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight, for they treated the Lord's offerings with contempt. But Samuel, though he was only a boy, served the Lord. He wore a linen garment like that of a priest. And so we see this contrast. And what's the problem with the priest doing this? Right? We can see this and we look, it sounds a little off, but what's really going on here? So in the beginning, when God established the priesthood, he says, as a priest, you should be paid for what you do. And so the priests were allotted a portion of the sacrifices that were brought to the temple. But here we see some deviations from their pay. They're taking more than God had given them. And in fact, you see here, it mentions that they got meat before it was boiled because they wanted it roasted. And so we start to see a little reflection where they go, what God's provision is not good enough for me. Right? This is a reflection of the Israelites in the desert. They said, we don't, manna, God gives us food every single day, but we don't want manna. In Egypt, we had meat every day. And we could eat cucumbers and onions and all these other things. And so Hophni and Phinehas are saying, the portion the Lord's giving us is not good enough. We want more. We want meat for roasting. So they're breaking those rules, and they are doing this to all the Israelites who come to worship God. And so the Lord is, takes these things very seriously, and he does not appreciate this. And so he's going to send a man from God to warn Eli about what's going on. Um, but we're going to see Eli first attempt to address this behavior with his son. So we're going to look at Samuel 2:22 through 26, as Eli tries to address this behavior with his sons. So say, now Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Eli said to them, I have been hearing reports from all the people about the wicked things you are doing. Why do you keep sinning? You must stop, my sons. The reports I hear among the Lord's people are not good. If someone sins against another person, God can mediate for the guilty party. But if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede? But Eli's sons would not listen to their father, for the Lord was already planning to put them to death. And then we see again, what's Samuel doing? Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew taller and in favor with the Lord and with the people. And so Eli has this ineffectual intervention with his sons, and they don't listen to them. And so then a man of God comes and reiterates the charges that Eli has just brought against his sons. They're doing things that are outside of their priestly duties. So the man of God, the charge that specifically from God is that your sons are scorning my sacrifices and offerings and that you and your sons have grown fat from the choice offerings of my people Israel. So this isn't like a, a 24-hour fitness judgment-free zone, right? He's talking about, he's like, it's like, look at you. It's obvious what you've been doing. Right? It's obvious the choices have accumulated over time, and it's obvious the effects of them. And in those days, being large meant you were rich. It was a status symbol. They talk about Solomon being wealthy and how large he was. Right? These are subsistence farmers living in the Bronze Age. And so to have a surplus of food to where you could become overweight indicates a social status. 
All right, so it's not about his health, right? Not his physical health. It's about his spiritual health. And it's pointing out the accumulation of the choices he's made over all this time. And so we start to see here, let's take a minute and, and think, why would Eli's sons not listen to him? So let's go back. How many prongs did the fork have it that, on it that the servant went to pull the meat? Three. So there's Hophni, there's Phineas, and who's the third prong for? Maybe, right? It seems like maybe Eli. And that detail, all the details in the story are there for a reason. And so when do you have a tough conversation with your family? Or when's a good time to have a serious conversation? Maybe after dinner, right? We're not hangry. We've addressed our physical needs. We have something important to talk about, right? So I'm imagining that Eli talks to his sons and and maybe they just had a really good dinner. Like, oh, that guy from Rama brought some good goats this time. And, they're, and he's like, but listen, you guys, I've been hearing reports from the people. And they go, you've been hearing reports? Where's his customary place? At the entrance of the tabernacle. And we know his eyes work just fine because he could see Hannah's mouth moving. So he's sitting at the entrance of the tabernacle, and his sons are seducing the women that work there. And they're stealing extra food, and they're giving it to their dad. So who knows what else has been going on in this family? But he's been at least willfully blind. He's at least looked the other way. And then he tries to obfuscate the responsibility. He says, oh, I've been hearing reports from the Israelites. And they're like, oh, sure, Dad. So that's the problem. People are bothering you about this. You knew this was going on the whole time. But people have been bothering you about this. And so now you're bringing it up. Sure, Dad, whatever you say. And he's old. And he's kind of ineffectual at this point. Because he's said, I am here for myself, not here I am, God. All right. So now let's meet Samuel for the first time. And we're going to try to land this plane before we run out of time. So we're going to meet Samuel for the first time. This is his first speaking role. We've heard about him, and we know what he's been doing. Right? He's saying, I am here to serve the Lord, not I'm here for myself. I'm here to serve the Lord. But we're going to see him switch now to, here I am, Lord. So you all probably have heard this story. We're going to start in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel served the Lord by assisting Eli. Notice, he's serving the Lord by assisting Eli, even though Eli is corrupt. Right? He's still obeying God and doing what he's been called to do. Now in those days, messages from the Lord were very rare, and visions were quite uncommon. One night, Eli, who was almost blind by now, had gone to bed. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was sleeping in the tabernacle near the ark of God. Suddenly, the Lord called out Samuel. So I'm going to pause here for a second. So visions were rare. So visions are things you see. And we see that the priest of God is nearly blind. And so is there a, more of a spiritual truth than a physical truth being talked about here? Potentially, right? Visions, things that we see, are exceedingly rare. And the high priest of God is nearly blind. And we just saw how he's looked the other way for many, many years. And so we see he's old. We look also, we see where is Eli? He's gone to bed. We don't know where he is, but we know where Samuel is. And so we can tell they're not in the same place, right? Samuel is sleeping in the house of God near the ark of God's covenant. He's not blind. He's ready for service. So suddenly the Lord calls out Samuel. Your phone doesn't like start to ring slowly, right? Your phone immediately starts to ring. And so God is the same way. He immediately calls out to Samuel. Samuel, I, uh, yes, Samuel replies, 
What is it? He got up and ran to Eli. Here I am. Did you call me? And this here I am is so important. And this is the big idea of the whole story. Here I am is this Hebrew word, hanini. It means here I am. It's more of like, it's not like I'm right here on the stage. It's not like here I am to do something, but it's saying, here I am. Behold, here I am. I'm ready to serve you. I'm saying yes without knowing what I'm saying yes to. I'm reporting for duty. You can imagine if you go into the, the president of the United States, he calls you into the office, and you go, here I am, Mr. President. You're ready for his orders. So think about the authority that comes from God when you say, here I am to God. Okay, so Samuel says, here I am. He gets up and runs to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? And Eli says, I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So he did. The Lord again called out, Samuel. Again, Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? I didn't call you, my son. Eli says, go back to bed. Samuel did not yet know the Lord because he had never had a message from the Lord before. So the Lord called a third time, and once more Samuel got up and went to Eli. Here I am, did you call me? Then Eli realized it was the Lord who was calling the boy. So he said to Samuel, go and lie down again, and if someone calls again, say, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. So Samuel went back to bed, and the Lord came and called out as before, Samuel, Samuel, and Samuel replied, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. And so the Lord, he, we see here that he pursues his people, right? He tries three times to get Samuel's attention. And we also notice again about Eli. Eli is the priest of God. And at this point, he's looked the other way. He's become nearly blind, and he doesn't recognize the voice of God when it's calling someone. It takes him three tries to go, oh, you know what? You're sleeping in the tabernacle next to the ark. It might be God who's calling you. Because it's not Hophni and Phinehas. They're out carousing with the, the tabernacle ladies. But it, right? It takes the priest of God three times to say, oh, that's the voice of the Lord that's calling. You should listen to that. Here's, here's how you respond to that. Okay. So we look at Samuel. And we see his responsiveness, his readiness to serve. He gets up in the middle of the night and runs to his master, to the one he's serving. He runs to take care of his duty, and he says, here I am. I'm ready to do what you need me to do. I don't know what it is. It's late in the night, but I'm ready to do what you need. And that is contrasted with Eli, who the lamp of the Lord's not even gone out yet, and he's nearly blind and he's old, and he's sleeping somewhere else, and who knows where his sons are. They're the high priest, and they're not anywhere to be found when the Lord calls. So we see this big, this big change here. And then we, the Lord speaks to Samuel. He speaks to him. And he reiterates the warning that the man of God gave to Eli, which is, I'm about to do something shocking. I'm going to finally execute the judgment that I've set forth for Eli and his two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. And I'm going to remove them from the priesthood, and I'm going to put someone in who's going to serve me better. And so... This, this warning is reiterated again, and Samuel wakes up in the morning, and Eli calls him, and again, Eli calls, and he knows that the, Samuel knows that the Lord is going to judge Eli and his sons, and Samuel's response is still, here I am, Hanini, here I am, Eli, and they have this strange interaction, this isn't on the screen, but this is going to be verses uh, 15 through 21, and Samuel uh, replies, here I am, and then Eli goes, what did the Lord say to you? Tell me everything, and may God strike you and even kill you if you hide anything from me. 
So Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold back. It is the Lord's will, Eli replied. Let him do what he thinks is best. And so Eli didn't need to ask Samuel what the Lord said, did he? He already knew what the message was. He had seen it himself. He had heard reports from the Israelites. A man of God had come and warned him. And he had lived all those choices throughout this whole time. So he didn't need an extra warning. And we see Samuel doing what God told him to do. He tells the truth even when it's difficult. He says, okay, Lord, you you wanted me to give this message, I'll give this message. And so when we look at this story, this is really the last interaction that's recorded between Samuel and Eli. And then it kind of ends there. It says all the things that Samuel said were going to happen did end up happening. And then we hear later about how Hophni and Phinehas die on the same day in a battle and the Ark of the Covenant is captured from the Israelites and it's taken into Philistine territory and uh, there's a whole adventure that goes along with that. But this is the end of Eli and his sons. This is the last thing that we really hear from them. And so we look at this picture between this compare and contrast between the two. We think, what is this that it teaches us? And if we say, here I am, Lord, I'm ready to do your will. I'm here for a purpose. I'm saying yes, even without knowing what I'm saying yes to. Then God raises us up, he grows us, and Samuel ends up changing the nation and establishing the United Kingdom of Israel. So that's one thing that we can do. The other thing that we can do is we can be willfully blind. And we can turn our eyes away from the things that we see every single day in our lives, from the work that God's given us to do, from the things that we're supposed to do, from the sins in our lives that are slowly accumulating and turning us into people who cannot follow the Lord. So that's the choice that we're faced with. Say, yes, Lord, here I am. And it's scary because you don't know what you're saying yes to. But the other option is even worse. You turn a blind eye and you end up becoming the kind of person who can't even follow the Lord when he speaks to you. And so that's the big idea that I wanted to share with you all this morning. The last thing I'll close with is as we look at this story, yeah, it's a story about Elkanah and his wives and Samuel and Eli and his sons and the people of Israel, but ultimately it's God's story. And some of the things that come through as we look at this is that God is a just God. He is not okay with people taking advantage of his people or stealing from them. All right? He is not okay with that. And he executes judgment on those people. But he's also merciful because he gave Eli time to try to change his son's behavior and to change his own behavior. But he didn't. He's patient. He gave him the time. And he pursues his people. Right? He followed Samuel. And he followed Hannah. And he followed the people of Israel through all of this. And then finally, he's sovereign. None of the things that happened happened without God controlling them. Even the Ark of the Covenant goes to the Philistines, and God's sovereignty defeats the Philistines with just the Ark and brings it back home to the Israelites after all of this. And so as we end today and we go into prayer, I would say, as you pray this week, ask God to open your eyes to the things that you're being willfully blind to and ask him to give you the courage to say, here I am, Lord. I'm saying yes without knowing what I'm saying yes to. All right, so let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for the rain that you send to make things grow, to give us food. We thank you for the sunshine that also helps things grow. We thank you that you are sovereign over all. Lord, we thank you for recording and protecting your story and how you interact with your people through all these years so that we today can look back and learn 
We ask as we go forward this week that you give us the courage to say, here I am, to say yes to you without knowing what we're saying yes to so that we may be used by you. Help us to see the things that we're being intentionally blind to so that we can cut them out of our lives so that you can help us to have a pure heart, hearts that follow you. In your mighty name we pray, amen. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com. Thank you.